again. Good morning, Encounter Church. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10 is where we find ourselves as we've been traveling through uh, the book of Acts from the perspective of seeing the instruction uh, to us as being witnesses. Jesus uh, gave that instruction. He said, you will be my witnesses of the risen Savior. And I even thought about this. Yes, last week, right, right, we celebrated Jesus' resurrection. Well, guess what? The good news is, is that he's still alive, right? He's still risen from the grave, and we celebrate that uh, every uh, Sunday. And th- speaking of celebrating, as you're finding your way there to the book of Acts, uh, you'll find it in the New Testament. If you're still not exactly sure uh, where it's at, feel free to ask a neighbor or use the table of contents. That's perfectly, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but as you're making your way there, I want to just extend a special uh, word of congratulations to two dear couples in our church body. Uh, last Friday, a week ago Friday, uh, Charles and Enos Lindner celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And uh, I don't see either of them here, uh, or they're here, but they're serving as they often do. Uh, So make sure uh, that we didn't mention it last week because they didn't want to take away from Jesus' resurrection as, as the Lindners, right, Enos and Charles would not want that at all. Uh, But make sure you give them an extra hug this morning and uh, tell them congratulations. And, but wait, there's more, church, because this past Friday on the 14th, Steve and Linda Dill celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. Um, And uh, so we are glad, and I I didn't acknowledge you being back last week. Uh, Steve, but last Sunday Steve was back with us after being gone for a period of months there uh, recovering from his stroke and uh, Steve we are so glad to have you back. I know there's a lot, yeah you can, we can uh, thank the Lord for that. Um, there are a number of people who have had burning questions in their mind that they're looking for someone to answer. So now that Steve's back you can get all of your questions answered from Steve. Right there, but congratulations, uh, <laughs> Jesus. That's right. Yeah, that's the that's the right answer. Amen. Uh, but uh, Steve and Linda, we're thankful, and Charles and Enos, we're thankful for your uh, your years of faithfulness uh, and how God has worked. And I think both of you would attribute uh, your faithfulness to each other is because of God's faithfulness to you. And uh, so we're thankful for that. So we can celebrate that. Can't we, church? Well, hopefully you're there at Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to, we're hopefully, Lord willing, we're going to hopefully cover uh, all of chapter 10 uh, by the time we dismiss uh, later. Uh, sadly, I am, uh, I'm skipping over a really a very sweet section, and this is very, very hard for me to do, especially when we're going through a book study like this. It's hard for me to jump over any verses, let alone uh, really wonderful sections, but uh, we won't be highlighting the last part of chapter 9 uh, that talks about uh, a, sweet, a sweet lady by the name of uh, Dorcas or Tabitha. And I'd encourage you, take time to read that and uh, even just ask the Lord, how, God, how are you challenging me to uh, serve and encourage other people in that way? But So here we find ourselves in chapter 10. Uh, and I'd invite you to follow along with me as I read, uh, starting in verse 1. It said, at Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius... Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told, he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. 
We'll stop there. Uh, We'll make our way through the rest of the passage. But this morning's sermon, what we're seeing here is that the spread of Christianity, again, the news that they're declaring is that Jesus is alive, is that Jesus rose again from the grave. This is, when you think about our role as witnesses, that really is the primary message that we are to be sharing. That's the starting point uh, of a person coming to know Jesus is to believe in the fact that he rose again that he's living to this day, that we are serving a living God, a risen Savior who is not uh, capped away in some tomb, but instead, instead that he is living now, reigning in heaven, ruling, and that we anticipate he will one day, pray, praise God, hopefully very soon, uh, return. And so so what we're seeing is over throughout this throughout the book of Acts, we're seeing this word of this risen Savior being spread, and it's, and it's being spread, it's a word of mouth uh, spread is what's happening, and it's primarily up to this point, it's primarily been declared uh, to the Jews, that it was, this message was taken there to the Jews first. But now we're going to see in chapter 10 a bit of a transition where now this message is not going to be bound just with it, just to be spread uh, among the Jews, but how now uh, we're going to learn that this salvation, this message is also for the Gentiles, that it is for everyone else. However, uh, what we also have uncovered and discovered a bit is that uh, there was maybe to some extent, right, there was a, a little bit of pride uh, there was a little bit of wanting to keep this to themselves, just to keep it within ranks of those of those who were Jews, right? Can we really allow those dirty Gentiles in on this? And what we're going to see this morning is that God uh, breaks down Peter's uh, tendency to have a prejudice against the Gentile people, and that inside his heart. He harbored a prejudice, and God is going to meet Peter in a vision, and he is going to direct Peter to meet this gentleman by the name of Cornelius, who God comes to, who God came to first here in, in this vision to Cornelius that we just read, and, and God is going to break down these prejudices. Now, I think all of us, whether really, honestly, whether we want to admit it or not, we do tend to have a natural tendency to show prejudice toward people who are different than we are. Whether it's favorable or whether it's unfavorable uh, to other people, these prejudice is a preferential bias that tends to paint with a rather broad brush and it targets large groups of people rather than treating other people as individuals who were created in the image of God, who are loved deeply by Him, and who are in need of Jesus as their Savior. Again, these lines of distinction or these prejudices, are, they are, we draw them in our own hearts, whether knowingly or unknowingly, whether intentionally or unintentionally, but there are indeed in our hearts different walls of division that we've built and it affects how we treat other people. And again, oftentimes we, we, we don't want to admit it, but I think probably if we really took inventory of our daily thoughts and our attitudes and even our actions toward other people, uh, even thinking about maybe some underhanded comments that we make or our jokes that uh, another person or a group of people are the, the butt of the joke, Um, Our social media interactions, even at times, reveal these different prejudices toward other people, even our business dealings. Maybe I could even say uh, the people who we do or we do not invite into our homes uh, at times reveal uh, the prejudices that we harbor in our hearts. For example, and I've got a list of them, I probably won't get through all of this, I won't take time to go through all of them, but... 
right? Some of these different categories that maybe we have different prejudices or we treat people differently, you know, like wealth, right? I'm going to, (laughs) I might be more favorable to a rich person who has money or might be a little bit more philanthropic or generous versus I might treat the homeless panhandler differently, right? There's, there's, a, there's a prejudice. There's a bias that we have toward that category. Or appearance, right? Someone, I'm going to treat someone who is in a suit and a tie and kind of appears to have be a business professional, right? Kind of have it going on versus maybe that tattooed and pierced up biker guy. <laughs> I might treat them differently. Life stage even, right? The the, the, the aged person, the older person versus the younger person. Sometimes we have biases between them. Um, even lifestyle choices, right? If, if we can kind of confront maybe the elephant for some of us in the room, uh, how we treat the gay person versus the straight person, even in those lifestyle choices, right? Political views, Republican versus Democrat, right? Again, I like just sometimes look through our social media feeds. What are we posting? And, and what's it saying? How's it condescending to the person on the other side of the political line? That there are different biases, ethnicity and race, family background, marital status, married versus divorced versus singled versus widowed, uh, geography, right? Well, this person's from the east end versus this person being from the west end. Again, these are different biases that we have toward people. And so we understand that prejudice. Again, all of us, deep in our hearts in different areas, we have these different prejudices. This is nothing new. It's been a cancer to humanity for nearly all of history. But in today's sermon, we're going to see how our prejudices are going to be confronted by God's grace. We're going to learn how faith in Christ Jesus is indeed the great equalizer. That the cross of Jesus Christ is going to have a way to root out the weeds of prejudice in our hearts. It's going to remind us that there are no second-class Christians. And instead of hostility... Ephesians tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, Jesus is our peace and it's the cross of Christ that breaks down the hostility that we have toward other groups of people that are different than we are. Now I want you to to understand that that, uh, what I'm not saying is that we somehow should affirm sinful choices that other people are making that might be different from us. This is not, this is not what is being preached here, is that, that we're, going to welcome, we're going to welcome sin in our ranks. That's not it at all. But instead, how we treat that person who might be struggling or might be battling particular sins or might find themselves from this particular uh, segment of the population that we tend to kind of uh, roll our eyes about toward. Uh, that's what we're talking, is, is how do we treat them? And, and, and are we hesitant, or even in our minds, have we convinced ourselves that, that the gospel isn't for them? Or that, that maybe they are so entrenched in their sin that they are beyond God's grace and His mercy, Right? Have you, have you ever seen someone, or maybe you have know a friend, again, who maybe you have this prejudice or this bias toward, and you've just kind of said, it's not worth wasting my time on that person because there's not a chance they would ever come to know Jesus. I think what we're going to see is, is our, we're going to be confronted with that this morning. And, and what we're going to be challenged with is that we should be distributors of God's grace and his mercy, that we should be proclaimers of this gospel to everyone, and that we should not shy away from telling people about Jesus just because they're different than we are, 
or just because they might have, they might find themselves entrenched in this particular sin. The big idea for our sermon this morning is that the gospel is for all because Jesus is Lord of all, that he is Lord over all. And this is really the conclusion that Peter is going to come to. This is going to be the aha moment for Peter this this morning in this text is Peter is going to say, of course, Cornelius, of course these Gentiles can believe because Jesus is Lord over all and because all people have the same sin problem, then Jesus is the Savior that's available to all of them to meet the same problem that everyone, every one of us in humanity that we all have. And so we're, we find ourselves here uh, in this first passage of, uh, of chapter 10, this first section in verses 1 through 8, and really the point of this that we see is that God is going to orchestrate divine gospel appointments, that God is already moving. He's setting up the events for Peter for not only his prejudices to be broken down, but also this, this great gospel opportunity. Right? We know that if we are going to effectively communicate the gospel, if we're going to serve as Jesus ambassadors, we need to be willing to seize these gospel opportunities, these divine appointments, and we need to be willing to, to acknowledge that some of these divine gospel appointments are going to be interactions with people who are different than us, people who maybe we have had biases to, and what we need to do is be willing to turn away from our prejudices We need to be willing to step out of our comfort zones and we need to be willing to open up our lives. And might I even say, we need to be willing to open up our homes, our dinner tables, our living rooms, our back porches to those whom formerly we may have kept at a distance. We see here that God is orchestrating a a divine appointment. God is providentially guiding and directing the events which unfold. We we see Cornelius, right? What is he? He's a he's a Roman centurion. <clears throat> he's a Roman centurion, right? A member a member of that army that killed Jesus, that hung Jesus there on the cross. He was a man of authority. He was a man who had rank. The description provided helps us to see that he was also a man who was religious. We see he was a man who was devout in his religious practice. He was earnest and prayerful. Right? We would describe him in today's culture as a very spiritual man. But what we take note is, is that he was not a believer. He was not a believer. That doesn't happen until later in the chapter when Peter comes and shares the good news of Jesus with him. And so this Roman centurion, again, he is not a believer at this point in the text. And I think this confronts what a lot of our friends, a lot of our family members, right? They would say, well, I'm a spiritual person. Well, that's not sufficient. All right, that's, 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 not, that's not the, right? You, just being a spiritual person doesn't make you a believer, doesn't make you a Christian. It's believing in the risen Savior and placing your faith in Him. Right? Today, there's a general assumption that if you're sincere in your belief, if you're generous with your money and your time, if, if the scales of whether or not you do more good than bad if you even go through the religious motions, that you're acceptable in God's sight. But at this point, right, the Roman centurion, he, he had not believed in Jesus. But we do get this sense that God is already working in his heart. I think it's an interesting contrast as we think about a couple weeks ago when we thought about the Apostle Paul, whose heart was extremely hardened. And we saw how God how God got a hold of Paul's heart there on the Damascus Road. And so there's an interesting contrast where Paul would say, I will have nothing to do with this. But here we see this Roman centurion in Cornelius' heart. God is, God's kind of, it's almost like he's, he's starting to kind of prime the pump a little bit. He's, he's greasing the skids a little bit as the gospel is going to come his direction. He's going to be receptive, very receptive to the gospel. 
It seems that Cornelius uh, understands, though, that his moral record is, is not enough, that there's still something missing in his heart. And so again, God starts working in Cornelius's life there, and he sends this vision. In verse 3, we see how an angel, how God uses an angel to speak to Cornelius. And in the, vi- in the vision, the angel gives Cornelius instructions to send for this man by the name of Simon, Simon Peter, who was staying in Joppa. He was staying in Joppa. Again, so Simon Peter is hanging out there in Joppa. And if you remember Jonah, right? Think back to a number of months ago when we went through the book of Jonah. We're familiar with Joppa. It's a a seaport city there. That's where Jonah kind of was set off to to, uh, head the opposite direction of God. And so we find Simon Peter. He's hanging out at Simon the Tanner's house uh, by the seaside. And so the instruction the angel gives to Cornelius is send for Peter. I think a likely question that we might want to ask is why didn't the angel just tell Cornelius about Jesus and the plan of salvation? Why, why, why didn't the angel just take care of business? <laughs> right? Why didn't he sit him down and, and share with him his need for a savior that his spirituality was not sufficient for salvation, but instead Jesus had come, Right? I mean, wouldn't that have saved Cornelius and his men a lot of trouble? It's here we're reminded of the great importance of our role as witnesses. That God has primarily reserved the proclamation of the good news of Jesus to us. To his followers that the responsibility to tell people about Jesus lays on your shoulders and my shoulders. Right? Oftentimes we say, well, maybe God will just send them a sign. Sure, maybe God could, but more importantly, guess what? God has already sent them you. Right? I, I, I was, as I was thinking about this, uh, right, I, I, I thought about Psalm 19.1 where in that verse it says that the heavens declare the glory of God, right? I mean, we know that God has revealed Himself through revelation, and we see the glory of God all around us. But creation, the one thing that creation doesn't do is it doesn't reveal God's love. How, does, how is God's love revealed? It's, it's revealed there on the cross. And who ha- does creation tell us about the cross of, of Jesus? No, not like it tells us about the glory of God. The the instruction, the good news of the cross of Jesus, of God's love, has been given to you and to me. And so instead of God speaking through this angel and sharing with Cornelius about Jesus, God is aligning and God is establishing and setting up this divine appointment for Peter to come and share with Cornelius about Jesus' love. Church, do you believe that God is continually setting up divine appointments for every one of us today? Every day. Opportunity after opportunity, God is allowing us to meet people who have never heard the good news of Jesus. And that in that moment, that divine appointment, that divine gospel opportunity, we are standing there with the good news. And God has said it's up to you to share it with them. But unfortunately, because we do harbor prejudices in our hearts, causes us to be hesitant sometimes. And sometimes we have an us versus them mentality and it allows our discrimination to keep us from sharing the gospel. And maybe we were missing out on these Cornelius moments. Church, maybe we need to repent of our own prejudices, our own hesitancies 
that we have towards other groups of people. So that the gospel can freely flow through us unhindered to all we meet. I think maybe we need to start seeing our lives and our daily activities differently. All right, oftentimes we think of our daily lives as just, right, we, we get up, we go to work, we earn a paycheck, we come home, we use that money to provide for the comfort of our own needs, we entertain ourselves a little bit, we go to bed, we sleep a little bit, we wake up the next day and just do it all over again. And yet we forget that one of our primary responsibilities is to tell people about Jesus. And that all we do should be helping us, should be helping us move toward that goal to meet that end. Well, let's, let's go on here and let's jump then and look at Acts at, at verses 9 through 23. At verses 9 through 23, because we're going to see now 31 miles away from Caesarea in that city of Joppa, right, is, is Simon Peter staying at Simon the Tanner's house. And there's going to be another vision that occurs. And this vision is going to be given to Simon Peter. And the intent of this vision is to prepare Peter's heart for the task of declaring the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and God, through this vision, is going to be breaking down the barrier of prejudice and is going to be opening up the eyes of Peter to the mission field that is right before him. So look here, and let's go ahead and read verses 9 through 23. It says, About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Again, so Cornelius has sent his entourage of men, his several, these several men. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. And he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied, for I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything important impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and they stopped at the gate. They called out and asking if Simon who, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While P Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Now it's helpful to note that in the Old Testament, God established uh, various laws for the purpose of setting apart a people for himself. And these were moral and ethical standards or laws uh, that were unheard of in that barbaric day of the Old Testament. And God would issue these laws as a way of decreeing that his people were going to be different from the violent and godless nations around them. It was a way of, of setting his people apart some of those laws that God had put in place were dietary laws. They were laws that gave guidance on what you can and cannot eat. Now, as often as is the case, we have a way of taking God's command, maybe we manipulate it or tweak it a little bit, and then we end up turning it into a source of pride that divides us from other people. So what the Israelites had done in the Old Testament Right, is they would look down upon those who didn't keep the law like they did. Right? We are familiar with the Pharisees 
who, who would be thankful that they were not like the uncircumcised. Right? They turned the law into a source of division. The, the intention was not as a source of, of, of necessary, it was a source of, the, the intent of the law was to separate them, to show them as God's people. It was not as a barrier to keep uh, interested or, or believing people out. But unfortunately, that's what happened. They allowed these laws to become a source of division between them and the foreigner. The laws were meant as a safeguard, uh, but it wasn't meant as something to keep the foreigners from believing. But that's what happened. The Jews had a way, and especially the Pharisees, they had a way of, of turning it into a source of pride. They would say, look at those, we're circumcised, they're not circumcised. Look at those filthy, uncircumcised people. Or they would say, look at us. We keep the Sabbath day, and yet look at them, right? They're out in their fields working like dogs. Or they might take one of the laws and say, we eat vegetables. Oh, look at us. We are vegetable-eating people. And yet, look at them. They eat dirty pigs. Again, rather than the law being a safeguard from the foreign practices or setting the people apart, they turned it into a source of division that would fuel the fires of this prejudice. That even went against the instruction of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34, where the Israelites are actually told to treat the foreigners or the sojourners, those who were among them, to treat them as their own family members. It would say that when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. For the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself. For you once were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so the vision here given to Peter is very unique in that, and, and, but it fits the context, right? Peter, it's about noon. Peter goes up for a time of prayer. Peter is probably hungry like most of us, or many, some of us are probably getting hungry now, or at least you're getting hungry now that I told you to get hungry. But most of right, it was about noon when anyone would likely be a little bit hungry and the food was not yet prepared. And so someone may have been, maybe someone is down there in the kitchen and they're preparing the food and the food as he's up there, as a, he's up there praying, the food, right? The cooking food is, the smell of it is wafting up to the top, to the rooftop. And so God, and if it were me, I would be completely distracted from my time of prayer, right? I don't know if any of you, I'm sure none of you are distracted from your time of prayer, but, but I would be distracted from it. I would smell the food, and i think, oh, this is... So God uses this distraction and turns it into a vision for him. And so the vision is this, is that God lowers this sheet down, and on, the, on this are clean and unclean animals, and Peter's probably licking his chops, thinking about the clean ones, right, that are available to him. But the instruction given to Peter is, God says, kill these, eat them, they're all now available to you. I guess we can say that Peter was given a vision of an all-you-can-eat barbecue buffet. Again, I, I do find the timing of it to be a bit amusing right there around lunchtime, but Peter's response, though, in verse 14, and Peter had, had the unique way of responding in, in, an at, in adamant ways, right? He, he did it to Jesus. He would say, no, Lord, I will not betray you, right? I won't turn my back on you. He, he responded uh, kind of swinging to the, end of, the other end of the spectrum. Peter's response then in verse 14 is rather adamant. God says, kill and eat. Peter says, surely not, Lord. He says, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. And even there, we almost get this sense of pride, don't we? Oh, not me. Oh, nothing impure or unclean has ever touched these lips. Nothing like that has ever entered my body, right? Surely not, Lord. I, I won't do this. Now, if you, many of us, right, most of us are not a student of the Greek language, but those who are students of the Greek language, you understand that in the original language, here's what Peter is saying. Surely not, Lord. I've never had smoked barbecue pork ribs in my life. And no matter how good juicy smoked barbecue pork ribs might be, according to the Gentile establishments anyways, I refuse to eat them. Okay, no, that's not really the Greek. But that, in my mind, that's what he's saying. He's saying, man, you're right, those barbecue pork ribs, they sure do look good, but I'm never going to eat them myself. A tremendous struggle is taking place in Peter's soul. 
because there's this ingrained religious prejudice. There's, again, it's reinforced by clear commands of biblical ritual law. It's strengthened by years of, of instruction and teaching and tradition. It's enforced by lifelong practice. And yet here God is giving him this clear instruction. And yet God is kind and gracious to him, isn't he? Because the, the voice then spoke to Peter a second time, it says there in verses 15 and 16. What does it say? It says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. All right, see, what is happening is God is breaking through Peter's, the prejudice of Peter's heart. And immediately at that point, the men who are sent by Cornelius, they arrive at the gate, and the opportunity to apply what had just been learned is at hand. And Peter then responds in obedience, leaving behind prejudice and welcoming the men into the home, even giving the men lodging for the night. Again, so, so what God is doing is he is breaking down these barriers. Right? Jesus had already said that all of these laws are fulfilled in me. Jesus had already given the instruction while he walked the earth. He says it's not what enters into a man that makes the man unclean. Jesus is already breaking down these barriers that, we've, that have been established Peter just had to, God had to work a little bit extra hard on Peter to help him break down these barriers that were there. And so Peter invites the men in. God is breaking down the prejudices. He is, he is preparing the way for the gospel message to be spoken by Peter to those who formerly Peter would have never associated with. The effect of the vision was to free Peter from any hesitation of going to a Gentile home, eating whatever might have been set before him, and then to be able to share the gospel with them. By leaving behind his prejudice, Peter could now share the intimacy of table fellowship with the Gentile people. So then this leads us then to the third point. Right again, so we, we see that God is orchestrating this divine gospel opportunity, this divine gospel um, appointment. And in order for Peter to be willing to share the gospel with Cornelius, a Roman centurion who was very spiritual but yet had not yet believed, God had to break down that prejudice in Peter's heart. So then we see here that the answer, really a, a helpful summary of these final verses of chapter 10 is that all who believe the gospel are saved, that there's no, con- that there's, there, there's no distinctions between who can and who cannot believe. And so we see that Peter then arrives, Peter responds in obedience and he arrives at Cornelius' home and he finds a crowd of spiritually hungry Gentiles waiting for him. Each person was there in response to Cornelius' invitation to them. We're going to read verses 24 through 48. I know it's a bit of territory. Let's jump in and follow along with me. So it says, the next day, starting uh, there at the end of verse 23, the next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa, they went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them. And look at this. He had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and he fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. He said, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and he found a large gathering of people. So do you understand what's taking place? Cornelius, and this is what happens, right? This is how the gospel has a way of working. Cornelius sends out invitations to his friends and his family members and says, hey, there's this guy by the name of Peter. He's coming and he's going to share with us about this movement, about this way, about these Christians, about this risen Savior. Why don't you come and listen and hear it for yourself too? I think sometimes when in, in, our, in our hesitation to share the gospel with other people, 
right? And when we see them and we already, in our minds, we make the decision for them or we convince ourselves that there's no way that, that they would believe, when we draw all of these lines of distinction, we forget about all of the people who are behind them that God might use that person to reach. We see this. Cornelius invites his friends, his family members over and says, come on over. And so Peter, who's thinking he's just going to show up and have coffee with Cornelius, with one man, comes to find a room full of Gentiles. And so Peter, he kind of calls out the elephant in the room, okay? There in verse 28, he said to them, he enters in all these people, a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Like he says, you know, we really, like, yesterday I, sh- I wouldn't be doing this. But here I am. He says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Verse 29, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask, he says, right? So now he says, oh, Cornelius, why have you sent for me? And Cornelius answered, he said, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. And so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. He says, I now realize, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with with him. Here it is. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Church, you might want to underline that very verse. Verse 43, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out Even on Gentile, wait a second, I thought that was our gift. And yet here God is pouring it out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And so he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Imagine if Peter had remained entrenched in in his prejudice. Imagine if he had refused to associate with these Gentile men. Imagine if if as those people, as as they called out for him there at the gate of Simon the Tanner's house, if Peter had said, no, I'm sorry. Not today. Imagine if Peter had refused, then the entire room full of friends and family would not have heard the gospel. We see in this passage, we're reminded that because Jesus is Lord of all, and because all of us have the same need, that the same Jesus, the same Savior, is available to everyone. 
and those who fear Him, Peter says, those who believe in the name of Jesus Christ and they demonstrate this belief through obedience, they are the ones who are saved. God used the people of Israel as the means through which the world would be blessed with a Savior. Church, you can be thankful for this, very pa- for this, for this passage right here. Because this is why the gospel came to us, was opened up for us. We know that God used the people of Israel as the means through which the world would be blessed with a Savior, with the Messiah. This salvation was never intended just for the Jews alone, but also for the Gentiles, for all the people of all nations who are willing to believe in Jesus. Herein the promise is fulfilled that was given to Abraham in the book of Genesis, that all nations would be blessed through the Messiah, through the One. And Paul echoes this in Romans chapter 10. He says, For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And it's the sending of the Holy Spirit, it's the people's baptism, then that only reaffirms and signifies the true conversion of the Gentiles. And it marks the beginning of the witnessing efforts to all nations, to all people. And so church, I wonder... Are we allowing the gospel to go through us? To have free reign, free opportunity to to be spoken to everyone regardless of who they are. Regardless of whether or not they understand the truths of Scripture. Regardless of their political affiliations. Regardless of of their backgrounds, regardless of their their status and life, are we willing to allow them to hear the good news of the gospel so that they might believe and then be changed and then be changed by the Holy Spirit and the instruction of God's Word in their lives? Sadly, I think we expect them to be at a certain point in their life, at a certain point of understanding Scripture, at a certain agreement with us, that it keeps us back from saying, listen, there's a risen Savior, and He loves you, and He's calling you to Himself. Last evening I had... Our family had a wonderful conversation, had a wonderful time with some new friends that we've just, some I just met last night, some that we've known a little bit here recently, and we had spent the evening with them. And the one gentleman, uh, he's probably close to my age, and in his mid-30s, uh, he sensed that, the God, that God was calling him to trust in Jesus more that he wasn't trusting, that he was trusting in himself and his job and all the comforts of life and that God was calling him to trust in Jesus more. He was really wanting to become more intentional in walking with Jesus. And so what did he do? In his mid-30s, he joined the army. (laughs) Like, okay, yeah, you want to learn how to trust in Jesus, join the army, right? And that's what he did. He joined the army and he signed up and he and he came to realize, he said, you know, he said, I've never, he said, I will, God is not calling me to be a foreign missionary. God's not calling me to be a pastor of a church. He said, but in this moment, I saw my mission field as being there in the army. And so he said at this one point in time, he said, we, I found myself, I was sitting in a military transport vehicle. He said that would only get six, that could only fit six guys. And he said, when it comes to six guys, he said, it's not like you have a lot of room. He said, you can't even raise your head all the way up. He said, you're sitting like this with your, with your gun in between you. He's, he was on deployment with your gun in between you. And he said, and you kind of stuck your, your, your chin right there on top of your gun and you rested there. And he said, the conversation there amongst those men, he said, was horrendous. He said it, it, was, it was down, it was dirty, it was horrible. And he said that God in that moment prompted him. He said the Holy Spirit was saying, listen, brother, you've got a captive audience. Start telling them about Jesus. And so he, he said, I did. 
right? I think in our minds, we're thinking, these guys aren't going to be interested. There's no way, right? They're too far gone. He said, so I, I just kind of brought up the conversation and one gentleman across from me, he said, oh, science has proven that there's no God. And, and so he said, the Holy Spirit was just really guiding me and directing me in this conversation. He said, we were in that vehicle for seven hours talking about Jesus. He said, we got to where we were going. He said, the one guy was just kind of, he said, the one guy wrote me off. He said, a few days later, I gave that guy a copy of the case for Christ that I had, that I was able to get. I gave that to him and I said, hey man, I said, this might help answer the questions better than I did. And he said, I never heard from that guy again. He said, but it wasn't long, a couple days later. He said, one of the guys who was just listening just overhearing the conversation that was taking place. He came and he asked him, he said, listen, John, he said, uh, do you think Jesus would love me? And here's what John repeated scripture to him. He said, listen, Jesus said, it's not the righteous that he came for. It's the unrighteous. He said, it's not the healthy who needed the doctor. It's those who are sick. And he looked at this guy and he said, and I can tell from the way you live, you're a pretty unrighteous, sick guy. He said, but that's why Jesus came. And that's why Jesus loves you. And he said that gentleman joined him at church for a number of weeks. And he said, and then, and then they separated their ways. He doesn't know what happened with him at all. But like in, in that moment, he could have just sat there and said, there's no way, right? These guys, I'm, 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 I'm 15 years older than all of these young guys who are in here, right? I've got teenage children at home, and here I'm with a bunch of these young 18, 19, 20-year-olds, right? He could have come up with all the reasons not to share the gospel with him. But he had one reason to share the gospel with him. Because he knew and is convinced that Jesus came to save them too. So church, we need to ask God to break down our prejudices, remove the barriers, so the gospel can flow freely through us. Would you pray, God, help us now? to be clear conduits, to be clear spokesmen and ambassadors of the good news of Jesus. Jesus is Lord of all and salvation is made available to all. In Jesus' name, amen.